Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Urbanized Podcast. My name is Wally Brown. Today, we are joined by Daisy Shonder, who is joining us from Walla Walla, Washington. Hello, Daisy. Hi, it's nice to be here. Hey, wow. Okay, great. Thanks for joining us. Okay, so I, I think it's really cool how we came to meet each other. Would you like to share the story? Yeah, I would love to. Um, let's see. I guess it really starts from the beginning of me listening to this podcast. Um, so I started listening, I would say probably a month ago. And I shot you an email a week or two ago, wondering about urban planning, just wanting to learn more, especially because of your connection to Portland State. And that's where I'm hoping to go after graduation for a master's in urban planning. And I just reached out wondering more about the major, the program, the career, the professional life and internships, anything along those lines. Well, that's great. Well, we're so happy to have you. Um, I think it's great. I reached out to you. Yeah, and I think it's great. I reached out to you to possibly interview you because I think this is a prime opportunity to like get to know the audience. And like you are our target audience, like people who are <laughs> trying to join. So I was I was so happy. Um, yeah. So thank you so much. I talked to other people who've like been on and like Shreya who interviewed me last time and we're, we're all excited to have you. So um, with that, so we know your name, you're Daisy Shonder. Um, yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing this these days up in Walla Walla? Yeah, of course. Well, I am a senior at Whitman College in Walla Walla, so I've been doing a lot of online classes. We're actually doing hybrid classes this semester, so I'm able to go in person for my beginning sculpture class, for example. So that's been nice to get my hands back working on some fun sculptures. Um, but other than that, most of my classes are online. So a lot of reading. I work at Maple Counter Cafe in Walla Walla, which is a breakfast place. Um, and I'm a host there. So I've been working and yeah, working on my thesis, getting ready to graduate. Oh, wow. That's great. Do you mind if we ask, what, what's the subject of your thesis? Yeah. So my thesis is on the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, I'm using like social sociological theory uh, around social movements called the framing theory to see how. Um, the Black Lives Matter movement changed the framing before and after the death of George Floyd. Okay. How, how they redirected the framing of the social movement based upon his murder. That's great. Yeah. We'd love to check it out after you publish it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So that's great. Um, so let's see. So that, that's great. Um, what drove you to listen to Urbanize? Um, well, let's see, about, I'd say six months ago, I got more serious about urban planning. Um, and I started seeing it as an option post-grad um, and decided to look more into it. And I'm really big into podcasts. I love listening to podcasts. I love learning from podcasts, especially. So the first thing I did was I just searched urban planning um, in my Spotify tab. And this was one of the first podcasts that came up. And yeah, which was great to see. So I started listening to it. Um, I can't remember the first one that I heard, but I just <laughs> downloaded them all, I think, and started listening to them while I was driving, walking. Um, and I think there was one, 
want to say his name was Tom. Yeah, yeah. Tom Clark. Yeah, yes, that was the name. And I really, really enjoyed that one. And I think that one was what, I guess, inclined me to reach out to you. Because um, uh. I think that one gave me more of a holistic view of what it, I guess that was very specific to transportation, um, but a holistic view of what a professional uh, career could look like within urban planning. And I think you talked a lot about um, like entering yeah. urban planning within that. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of why I reached out to you was probably that podcast. Um, but yeah. No, I think that's great. Uh, Tom is definitely a planner's planner. He used to be my boss. He's, he's running uh, Metro's transportation planning division right now. And he he's actually been a planner in many different forms. He like he's worked everywhere from like the permitting counter to like like doing county surveys to like doing like the acquisition of some new like a part of a city. It was there was a part of a city that became another city and like kind of got gobbled up between two cities. And he helped do that. And a lot of politics. So he he's definitely. When, when he was speaking about his experiences, that was definitely from many different facets of planning. So that's great. I, I, could, I could definitely, I'm excited that that spoke to you because we have some, this season we have some people who are from different facets of planning too. Okay, so that's great. That's great to know. So I'm wondering like, what is, like, what is your relationship with urban planning or like the urban planners like near you out in Walla Walla? Yeah. Um, I guess my relationship to urban planning, it's developing, I would say. Um, I haven't, like I said, I am a sociology major um, and I haven't taken any courses like directly relating to urban planning. Um, so I don't have any like academic knowledge yet or academic um, credentials necessarily, but I guess one of the main reasons that I decided to look into urban planning um, specifically was there's a book called The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. Mm -hmm. And I think that book discusses a lot of like the inequalities, um, institutional inequalities um, from a housing standpoint between like white and people, of, white people and people of color um, within yeah, within the housing development and equality world. And so I, I think that was after that book, I decided I wanted to delve deeper into, into that. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, so my, yeah, my relationship with urban planning um, is developing for sure. And I think until like six months ago, um, is when I started to do more research about urban planning specifically and started to realize, I guess, the impact that it has on communities and, um, you know, relating to housing, affordable housing and things along those lines. And so yeah. that's something I'm really interested in learning more about um, within the urban planning field. And in terms of urban planners within Walla Walla, I don't know any, and I think that was something that was really interesting to me, um, is that they're not super present within our community, and Walla Walla is growing a lot, um, especially within the past like four years, especially because of the like, wine tourism here. We have a lot of wineries, and that that 
aspect of tourism is growing. And so is the town, which is making it more, more and more expensive to live here. So uh, that's something that now that I have an urban planning lens, I would like to look more into that within my own community. Um, I am meeting with a planner for the first time on Friday just to talk with them and I guess hear more about uh, the processes involved in making decisions and creating policies here in Walla Walla. So I'm really excited for that. Okay, I'm so excited. I will, I will probably message you about how that goes. Um, wow, so that's great. I'm, I'm excited. And I think a lot of planners will be excited to read this cast. They're like, oh, she's getting excited. <laughs> okay, so I just want to frame some stuff. This, this is great. Um, a lot of times, like, the, I think planning can, have you seen Star Wars? I haven't. I know. I oh, need to, I haven't okay. Seen. No, that's okay. Um, have you seen The Wizard of Oz? I have. Okay. Okay. So that's cool. And like how Oz is like that great and powerful creature. And then he's like, Oh, don't look at the man behind the mirror. Like, like often a lot of planning is like that. Like there it, it's weird. Like how human these decisions are. Cause like planning, it's not limited to housing. Like I read uh, Richard Rothstein's book. Yeah. It's like, okay, you have people coming in to Walla Walla at what point do you have so many more people that like you might need a new school because like the the amount of children has grown or like that you need like new pipes because like you're when people flush the toilet now there's so many people flushing that you need a new pipe so it's it's crazy and then you have like the county and okay so that's great it's like growth management and it's great it's like we become the brain like we can be we become like the brain during like the teenage years like the body's like growing awkwardly and you're like oh how do i manage that so it's great okay so we have we have some cool questions for you okay so it's you've kind of already answered this but like okay so have you just to be clear have you ever met a planner in person that you know of i have not yeah okay i haven't but i'm looking forward to it (laughs) okay that's great we're gonna have a we're gonna have like a where's waldo for you okay so like I think I I think it'd be really cool if you mark like when's the first time you meet a female planner, um, a BIPOC planner, and a local planner who who shapes or has shaped your local community. Cause then you can talk with them to be like, you may have like been growing up to be like, hey, why why is this side why is there not a sidewalk here? And like that person may either know the answer to or be directly responsible for that. So it's cool. Yeah, that's super interesting. I'm I'm really looking forward to meeting um, one of the local planners on Friday. I believe her name's Melissa Shoemake. Um, and from what I understand, she's a female planner. So that'll be exciting to meet my first in-person community planner and have her be a female. That's great. I'm excited. I'm excited. We are definitely trying to diversify the field because as you may know, yeah, it, it's it's been something that people just didn't know about, you know? And so it, it's been heavily, it's, yeah, it's been almost exclusively like an old boys, like kind of old white male network, like a lot of people who follow, but now it seems like a lot of the older people, they follow like Robert Moses or like Frank Lloyd Wright, people who like build parks, build highways, you know, in the Northwest, it's a little bit different. They're not really like as pro highway as they are out East, you know, All right, that's a, that's an overgeneralization. I know some people will. But it, I think the physical landscape supports that. And then like a lot of 
a lot of the um, new planners like kind of follow like a more Jane Jacobs like community involved in like processes, things like that. And then there's everywhere in between. Okay. So let's see. We're going to go to the next question. So have you or someone that you know, like even if they're not a planner, especially especially if they're not a planner, have they been involved in like shaping the physical landscape of your community? This can be construction. This can be like maintenance, you know? Yeah. Um, I think the first thing that comes to my mind when you ask me that is I think about Whitman specifically because I grew up in Walla Walla um, where I go to college and the campus is has been quite modernized and has built, you know, really expensive buildings, especially within the past few years that I've been here at Whitman. And I think it's right in the middle of Walla Walla. Our campus is right next to downtown. So I think a lot of people associate the campus with what they visualize as Walla Walla. And so um, our most recent building is the Cleveland Commons area. And some of my professors helped, you know, decide how to how to build that and what design qualities they wanted to implement based on, you know, community and work and eating, like all of the different um, aspects of what those buildings are used for. And um, yeah, I think that was that was something that was really cool to me to see um, our school ask for the advice of, you know, sociologists who you know know how people uh, interact and also other um, people within different fields of our community. Um, and then I have, my uncle is a general contractor. So he, he works with flipping houses a lot. He does that. Um, and so we recently just like remodeled our house. And so he, he helped us with all of that. Um, Cause so what we did was took an old house, a really old house um, that was for auction and completely renovated it from the ground up. And he had to go through what now I'm realizing as I've become more interested is he probably had to go through planners to, you know, I guess get the okay on doing all of these wild renovations that he did to it, like adding a whole nother story and taking out a tree on the sidewalk and things like that, um, that I'm realizing must've been, had to have been um, in conjunction with urban planners within our area and so that's another connection that I have to someone who shapes the physical landscape I guess of Walla Walla I think that's great that's perfect because we all like we all just blend in together so just for the sake of podcasts and I hope this might be interesting to you too like there's like planning like normally like outlines the context for permitting and so your uncle probably had to like somebody owns that land when he bought the land and like the title to the house, he had the right to like build on it and then what he could build and how tall he could build it. Um, that that's like where planning kind of comes in. And then like the, what is required for him to like put in once he got in there, that would be like the permitting side. Like how many, like how does the new property connect to the sewer or what have you. And with renovations, it can be very tricky. Down here in Portland it is, cause like it, you can go from like a $50,000 renovation to like 200,000. So like there's certain things, like if you do it like the most logical way for a contractor, then you have to pay like half a million dollars. 
you know, and so contractors have to be creative because there's a lot of triggers. They're like, if you have a sidewalk, then you have to put in an entire sidewalk. Like in Portland, um, in some parts of Portland, it's on the property owner to maintain their sidewalk. And so what happens sometimes, let's say somebody falls on your sidewalk, they could, they could sue you because like there's a tree root, like you're responsible for maintaining it. So you could like be liable for like millions of dollars if somebody wow. trips on your property. I don't think it happens that often. I hope nobody gets takes the idea from that. Okay. But um, there's that. And I think something that might be really fun for you, uh, it's fun for me, is like seeing like who built the building, like, uh, like if it was an inclusive process or non-inclusive, and going to the first floor bathroom of that building and one that is significantly older, you will probably see like it's more comfortable. It's more human. It's more comfortable to use. Like I think bathrooms are very human places and like you can tell, you can normally tell like how much they were thinking of people when they designed the bathrooms. Like was, is it just like, is just a wall that like has no light? Was it just a room that they were just like, man, we want all the light to be for the conference room or like, did they put thought into it to make people feel safe in that very vulnerable space, you know? Okay. So that's cool. Super interesting. Yeah. I haven't, I don't know. I think it's really interesting to think about the ways, I don't know. It's easy to forget the function of a space in terms of like humanity and people and how they interact with others in those spaces too. Um, yeah. I think that's super interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I think that's great. I'm going to describe. So I, we're on just for the benefit of the listeners, like we're on zoom right now. And like, I can see like Daisy's room. Daisy has like, she's like in a corner room that has light from two sides. We don't, you don't see that a lot in your development because you have to, they charge you extra for it because people can do that. So you're you're living in like a, it seems like a pretty cool planned room right now, if I can say so. This house is very interesting, I guess, from that perspective, because we have a across the hall from mine. I live in a house with four other roommates and we have a room that has two doors and one of the doors opens up to the kitchen and the other door opens up to my hallway with the bathroom. Um, and so it's, it's really interesting to see like how people use her room as a hallway to get to the kitchen or the bathroom and as a shortcut really around our house. <laughs> I think that's great. Okay. Yeah. So we'll say one last tangent. Okay, we're going off. And there's normally, normally there's a story behind like that quirky thing. Cause you'll see like neighborhoods, like maybe all the houses in your neighborhood have some similar feature. And there's probably a reason for that. Like there's a Portland neighborhood right across the neighbors of Portland. There's a lot of places that have sunroofs like inside the house. And like the reason why is cause there was a pandemic when people, there's a pandemic right before like that building boom. And they thought they believed that like sunlight would help your like immune system and help you fight it. So that started reflecting like the built form. There's probably like some like belief that may be accurate, may not be, may just be hootenanny, but you know, that that's like, Hey, like open air access, like group access to the bathroom is important. Or whatever. Like there's likely a, like a reasonable story as to why your house is built the way it is, especially if there's something weird to it. That's cool. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's see. Let's say um, if you became a planner, you know, and uh, yeah, like there's many types of planners, but just, just if you became a planner, you know, no limits, what, what would you hope to achieve? Would you hope to like change Walla Walla? 
change the world? What would you like for? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Um, I feel like I'm at a very interesting point in my life where I grew up in Walla Walla and then I went to college here. Um, and so in some ways I'm extremely attached to this place and like the community that I've seen develop. Um, but I'm also interested in experiences outside of Walla Walla and I guess cities um, and how they function just because I'm so used to such a small kind of rural town, which is what Walla Walla is. It's highly agricultural and um, slowly developing, but I guess we'll probably develop faster within the next few years as it grows. Um, but I guess for me personally, what I hope to achieve, I think a lot of it is issues of equity for me. Like one of the region, reasons that I'm really interested in pursuing planning is because of the, I guess, potential for policies to create and to implement, um, which help achieve equity in various forms. And I don't have any, I guess, specific goals right now, just because I'm so new um, and entering this field. So I'm planning on taking a year off after I graduate in the spring. And I'm hoping to try multiple internships in different sectors of the field um, throughout that year, whether it be you know transportation or more environmentally focused. Um, and try to figure out what speaks to me and where I feel I could benefit the most and like where my skills, I guess, are the most prominent and where I'm the most passionate um, within the specific field. So that's something that I think over the next year will become more clear to me. I think that's great. Um, I know for a fact that a lot of people who give out internships listen to this podcast. So please keep Daisy on your radar. <laughs> Okay, I think I think that's great. Um, yeah, that's great. And just uh, I'll share with you a little bit of my story. Like we can. Um, I used to. So when I, when I came into urban planning, like when I came when I was in my master's degree, I worked two jobs at the same time, just trying to find out what I wanted to do. And I would just try to like work two different internships and two different facets of planning. And so I think I think it'll be easier for you, like having the having the master's degree like made it easier for me to like get into doors yeah. here even when I wasn't finished I think with you I think in Walla Walla it'll be easier to get into the field like a lot of people stumble their way into this field but it's mm -hmm. quickly becoming like more like oh why are you wanting to apply here and so I think no I think that's perfect that you're testing the waters and so just with that there's normally different like it's there's so many different facets to it. So like you can be like on the community side, you can be on the back end, like planning pipes. I think, I think like planning pipes is probably the most antisocial thing that you could do, but, but pro societal thing, you know, I say that having worked with like the sewer bureau and people were excited that somebody came down to visit them. I was like, Whoa, do people just not coming. I don't know. So I I'm excited for you. I just, I just want to preface like, there's so many, you already know, there's so many types. And so I'm excited to hear what you get for your internship. I have a question for you actually, since you were talking about sewers. Um, is there, I don't know if this is even the case, but I was wondering if there's an environmental justice aspect of like urban planning within like sewers and things like that. And 
um, the development of those things. I don't know if that's the case, but I'm wondering, is there, have you seen that? So there is, there is, so there is and there isn't, I'll say that. So um, normally people don't, normally, um, this is my personal perspective. I think normally a lot of government agencies are like anti-social, like they don't want anyone influencing the decisions unless they have to. And so the federal government's like, hey, you all have to talk to communities. And so I think, it's, I think it's called MS4. It's like a federal permit that allows like sewer operators to monopolize the local market for sewers, you know, because a lot of places, private companies can't do it. And this is just a, a really roundabout way of that MS4 permitting requirement, like it legally compels them to do outreach. So a lot of times the people who are hired to fulfill that permit are focused increasingly so on social justice, like inclusion and decision-making. A lot of times the engineers will be like, I don't want, I'm just want to draw these plans and I just want you to do it. I'm looking at ODOT <laughs> and, and like um, the senior planners at ODOT, not the, not the new people. And so, um, yeah, so there is, and like, there's also, there's, so there's a couple different things. So like, there's like the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, right? We have a lot of Superfund sites up here in the Northwest, you know? And so a really big focus of uh, the Bureau of Environmental Services and probably like their counterparts alongside the river, um, probably the, maybe even the Columbia and the Willamette has been, um, they, they just used to dump they used to dump not just poop, but waste directly into the river, you know? And you can't do that because then things start to die. People start to, you know, one guy th grew like a third arm. That was a joke. He didn't really, I'm just joking. All right, but <laughs> there's a lot of contamination. I got to make it exciting. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of, there was a lot of contamination. And so they're like, hey, wow, we didn't. And so it was doubly bad because they weren't telling people about it. And so now, because they did a bad thing, um, they, they're legal. And this is like, this is of course like a summary, you know, um, they're legally required to not just tell people about like what happens and the health of like the sewer and like the, the, the watershed, which is like the whole collection of stuff, but they're also legally required to, to like involve them, you know? And how that has taken shape was like access to the river and like getting people to like, as they're cleaning the river, they have to prove that one, they're cleaning it. And then two, like let people know how clean it is at regular intervals, you know? And what they've done with that has been like really creative. Like they have tribal liaisons, they have, um, wow. They have like fish advisories, you know? where like they're measuring like the amount of mercury inside the fish and then communicating with tribes that mostly eat fish and seeing like, hey, how can we better clean so that your way of life can not be effective? So it can be like, it's really like, I feel like urban planning, like community engagement in urban planning is like playing judo. Cause like we we're often not thought about cause a lot of people, so, urban planning is nudged between policy and law um, and implementation. So like your uncle who does like the construction, he's like the implementation yeah. and like the zoning code. The only reason why people follow zoning code is because they'll get sued if they don't. Right. 
And so law gives us power and um, zoning code. Code is like a form of policy and like code can be upended by policy. A new policy can abolish code. And so we're like this stepchild between the legal, um, between the legal, political and contractual professions. But we're kind of what links them all together. We're like, hey, you know, you know what they said, right? Like how laws are like really our documents are pretty long, but we use plain language. You know, we use language that like people who know can like understand. And so that that's kind of like I that's if we were to put planning in like a box. Some people disagree, but that's kind of what we do is like we translate law into something that people can actually understand and do something about because legal people, they're not experts in like we're closer to like the people who build stuff. So with that being said, um, yeah, a lot of planner, a lot of the newer planners, some of the older, but a lot of the newer planners are trying to say like, hmm, how can we take this community engagement requirement and make meaningful participation out of it? Because like, we're required to do it. Um, before, a lot of people would just use it as a box. And you'll, you'll hear this a lot. They try to check the box. They're like, hey, we talked to community, right? And then you see people who lived in the community and they're like, I've never met a planner in my life. And then we're like, did you, you've been doing something for 30 years. Are you really, who are you including that everybody doesn't know who you are? Um, yeah. And so there is opportunity and increasingly so to do social justice. And what that in that that turns into environmental justice when the issue is environmental, you know, and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of possibility. And I say that possibility because like you'll see there's the budget to do something and there's the will to do something, but maybe a lawyer blocks it. Maybe maybe like your city council person blocks it, maybe your supervisor blocks it, but everybody else, everybody in the community and all your staff want it, you know? And so does that, does that answer your question? Yeah, 100%. That was a beautiful answer. Thank you. That was, I mean, I think what that reminded me of was um, in one of your podcasts that I was listening to the other day, y'all were talking about um, like being able to articulate a lot of the urban planning, like lingo or like the, the ideas that you guys were proposing in plain Jane language um, so that everyone in the community is aware of what's going on and how like the inner workings of how these ideas turn into code or policy. Um, and so that's something that I've been thinking a lot about within my community. Like I haven't seen that. I haven't heard that. <laughs> I don't know how that happens. Um, and so that's something I'm really interested in seeing change or maybe learning myself through more investigative work, I guess. That's great. That's great. We, there's a lot of stuff. Okay. I could probably point you I, later on. I can probably help point you towards like some of the planning documents and like that planner that you're talking to can point you towards that. And like one of the, one of the greatest things I think that could happen is like you attend some of these conferences, which are virtual right now that have people from around the world. Cause different countries plan, like different States plan differently, different countries plan differently. Canada is like crazy. Like their their transportation planning is integrated with like their housing planning, right? Like in in some like here, it's different separate things. In other places, they're like, oh, we're just gonna lump them together, you know. 
And then you'll get to see like, oh, here's how they do things. And you're like, why don't we do it this way? Or it makes sense when we do it that way, you know? Yeah. Okay. Well, this is great. So I have, there's like kind of like a tongue in cheek question. So like, and this is perfect for you because you grew up and you live in Walla Walla. So what advice do you have for planners who are like shaping or have shaped the community you lived in? Like, you're like, hey, be more inclusive, be more visible, more sidewalks, more crosswalks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think one of the first things that I was thinking about um, is I was talking to some of my housemates who were asking about the transportation in Walla Walla because a lot of them are from like Boston or Portland or Seattle, things like that. And a lot of people don't even take the bus to school. Very few people actually use the transit here, I would say, like from my perspective. And maybe my perspective is different than others and different people, I don't know. Um, but no one I know uses like our public transit. Um, and so in that way, I guess I'm interested in why maybe that's not as, I don't know if it's funded or as promoted or as innovative. But I also understand that we're a small town. There's, you can walk a lot of places, you can bike, um, but there's also a lot of mileage, I guess, square mileage. So um, most people do have like their own cars to drive because um, it's 10 minutes pretty much anywhere around here. Um, but you can also get to cross the Oregon border in about 12 minutes, 13 minutes. Um, so that's something that I've been interested in. Um, I don't know since, I'm not fully aware of the ins and outs of planning in Walla Walla. Maybe transportation isn't something that they've decided to invest in as much for a specific reason. Um, but that's something I'm interested in learning more about within our community. So I don't know if it's advice, but maybe just more like awareness on why they make the decisions that they make. Um, and then I guess I think a piece of advice is some of the sidewalks are essentially non-existent anymore um, just because, you know, erosion or um, we're having a lot of construction right now. And so it's kind of like blocked off by um, high walls of that, those metal fences that they put up around construction. Um, and I'm, I'm at a point right now where, you know, I go to cities and I see like a lot of these beautiful, like newly built buildings. Um, and I'm like, that's so beautiful. I love how that looks. Everything here looks so well put together mm. um, and organized and kind of cohesive. And Walla Walla is definitely older and some of the buildings are older or run down. And so I'm interested in how to, I guess, maybe make a lot of the buildings that aren't in use or aren't as aesthetically pleasing. Um, so um, more maybe creating a more like cohesive like downtown space, like our downtown example, for example, um, is very like scattered um, and I guess historic. So I'm, I'm just interested in their goals for Walla Walla, like our planners goals and what they are um because it seems like some parts of Walla Walla want to be really modern um and you know x y and z and other parts want to like maintain at least like historic aspect and so I guess from a visual perspective I'm wondering like what um 
their goals are. I think that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. Do you want to fight chime in on that? Please, please try to, yeah. Okay, that's great. There's so much. Okay, so I think um, hmm, this is great. It, it sounds like it sounds like you're interested in stuff that is beyond planning, and that's okay. You can be a planner, hold many hats, or you can be somebody who does something different, who has a planning background, so you can like more freely navigate things. Or you know, there's, there's so many worlds of possibilities, right? And so let's talk about sidewalks. Help. Yeah, help to make a walkability plan. I, I love transportation. Did like a walkability plan. I plan on being a mayor, so I just I study. I try to study everything about a city, you know, because I want to be a competent mayor and operationally a mayor who's competent in operations of a city. I don't think we have that in the U.S. Most often. Anyway, so um, what with that? Huh? There's a lot of things. There's this thing called maintenance. You know, yeah. Oh my gosh. So in the in the U.S., we typically do not, for whatever reason, just at from at the federal, unless it's like a federal building, like a museum, unless it's unless it's a building owned by the state, we typically make it like illegal to like use public funds to maintain things or use federal funds to maintain things. You know, um, which is very 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 weird. Um, other countries typically don't do that. And so what you'll see, what we end up and that, that's a big broad brush, but, um, I think most people will agree on that. And so what you end up with is like for those new buildings around your city, um, oftentimes like cities don't even have the budget to map their sidewalks, you know, and keep records of their sidewalk. Cause there's so many, you know, it, it comes into like a huge data set. A lot of people aren't tech savvy. Like there's I made I helped make like the sidewalk update plan for uh, metro's region for all the cities, and some people just they just don't have the capacity to even just walk around their sidewalks and see. But that's getting easier. But what that comes down to is they definitely don't have money to pay for uh, maintaining it. So what they do is they will rely on they'll shift that responsibility to the private market because like when people talk about raising taxes, like if you don't have money to do something normally like you would raise taxes like oh, okay this pot will definitely be dedicated to that but politically that's infeasible here because people don't like raising taxes and when taxes are raised they like doing like special programs that make the politician like look good right and so because like we like we love to hire a new person they'll stop everything the old person did and do a new thing but with maintenance it's like hey we're going to charge everyone extra money which people don't want for something that will not be changed. Like, oh, it's not it's not done because it's not viable politically and not there's not enough like, you know, okay. Anyway, so what ends up happening is like the maintenance and construction of new sidewalks becomes contingent on the private market, which is a little bit of why things become more expensive when new developments come into play. Cause like there's the cost of the development and they're upgrading the sidewalks. And they're upgrading the pipes, which is like the water and the sewer pipes. And they have like new building standards, like maybe your new like buildings are earthquake resistant. And sometimes even road improvements are tied to the newer buildings. You'd be like, hey, why is this part of town? Why do they have nice roads? And like the old part of town doesn't. And maybe because the government's not paying for that. They're paying, they're facilitating the new developers splitting the costs of getting new traffic lights, getting new crosswalks. Like maybe that building that's on the corner of your downtown 
maybe part of why it's so expensive is because like the new traffic lights and the crosswalk, they had to pay for that, you know? Mm -hmm. And so there's, so there's a little bit of that going down. And that may explain why some of the sidewalks are like literally shut down. There's also like the legal liability. Like if anybody's walking on it, they'll like, they'll, they can potentially sue. So like, don't do it. But I'm, I'm assuming it's probably the first. They're probably upgrading the sidewalk as they're building it. Mm. Yeah. And so with that, and there's, there's also like the transportation participation part. Like, mm, I, depending on how good the data sets are, I, 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 I'm a planner who's also a data analyst. So I love looking at the data because I don't I don't trust what people tell me. I'm like, you think it's that. I don't think it's that. Like, and so data will tell you the what and the how much, you know, but it can't tell you why. You need you need the stories to tell you why. But um you're wondering about the transportation, like, hey, is this a funding issue? Is this like they're just not building it? There's not plans for it. Like they are legally required to share their budget, you know, so you can see. And normally the budget is tied to the amount of people who live there um, and the amount of people who use the transit. And so if more people are coming in, you're probably getting like a steady flow of increasing funding for transit. And then it becomes a matter of policy. It's like, hey, did they want to build more bus lines? But the neighborhoods, oftentimes neighborhoods can like block bus lines if you don't have a critical mass, you know. And so it's like, okay. And then you can kind of, you become like a detective. You're like, hmm, why? And then there comes the next part where it's like, okay, is there something I can do about it? And the answer is definitely yes. But what you can do about it, that's going to be contingent on like your environment. And so it's cool. Yeah. So that, that's, that's like planning in a nutshell, you know, and budget, budget constrains everything. Like, yeah, my mom's an accountant. So I love, I love budgets. I love managing them. Like you'll see, you can write the best plan, have political buyback for it. The community wants it, but if nobody wants to pay for it, then you can't, you can't do it. Yeah. We'll see. Is that good? Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah, that was a great, that answered so much for me. I think I'm realizing now, um, just the answers are out there. You just have to look for them, <laughs> you know, um, within like a lot of these questions that I have, like, if I look for those budget documents and things like that, I can, I can learn more about like why they make the decisions they do. Yeah, I think it's good. Definitely uh, write down your questions before you start looking. Cause I've, I've been on some crazy rabbit holes. I'm like, well, you'll be like, what they have this and they publicly post it. Like they, mm -hmm. they post the number of writers per hour and it's like a live feed. Like try it's a live. Well, if you know where to look, there's some live feed. And yeah. so you're like, what? And so, yeah, just um, to avoid some, uh, maybe if you like it, that's cool. But yeah. just, I'll offer that. Okay, we just got four more questions. You ready? Yeah. The other thing that I was thinking about um, is like the signage, um, like of a bunch of different things, but like a McDonald's sign versus like our local iceberg, um, which is like a burger place sign. And like the size of those things we have one street it's called ninth street and that's where like a lot of fast food but also local food um like local fast food places are um and it's interesting now that i've gained a little bit more interest in like planning to see like the size of those things and the i guess maybe 
lack of control over the sizes of the buildings and things like that and the signage. I think that's pretty cool. So let's see. Let's walk that back because it's really interesting. So you won't see a lot of those signs in Portland so much. Mm-hmm. And you don't see a lot of billboards in Portland because there's there's some state laws that prohibit like size. So those are one of those things where the state laws, I believe, prohibit the size and the frequency of billboards. Um, I don't know why. I, I know somebody will comment on that. Um, anyway, um, yeah, so Portland's a lot more human-centric. Like, when you make a sign that's, like, 30 feet tall, right, it, it is hard to read that sign if you are standing in the immediate vicinity, but it's easier to look at that sign if you're, like, driving 10 minutes away. So that's that's reflective of who is being planned for. Like, we're always planning for humans at this stage. You know, that might change in a few years. But are you planning for humans in a vehicle or humans, like, who are walking, right? And so if your transportation system is, like, centered around the car, then you're going to see a lot of um, places where, like, maybe there's sidewalks but the sidewalks don't take you anywhere because you have to walk through a parking lot to get to the business, right? Or maybe you literally can't walk from one business to the next because the, there's a parking lot with like a walking, there's like, there's a shared parking lot, but there's like a parking gap between them, you know? And so it's literally hard to like physically navigate space as a pedestrian. I'm from Marietta, Georgia, where they love to do that. Um, so it's, it's really hard to walk. You know, it's like we don't want you to walk because we want you to buy a car, basically, you know. Um, yeah. So that that's that's something with signage. Um, a lot of times I think that's something that's hard to regulate because then you get into that's where like law starts to go in because you're like, oh, what is the sign? But if, if, once you start trying to regulate it, people try to be more creative. They'll be like, oh, it's really a pole or it's really a. You know, it can be regulated and it has been, but that's one of those things that it's harder to regulate once you have it. Because it's really, because our legal system is established on precedent, once you have something that's kind of sucky, you know, it's really hard to get rid of it. And so what we try to do is like be proactive about banning things or like limiting things or regulating things so that you, so it doesn't get out of hand. But a lot of people don't want you to have a regulation unless you have a reason. So you end up with like this, like this vicious cycle of you need something bad to happen to regulate it, but you need it to not be so pervasive that like once you have the regulations, it doesn't mean anything until things have been built out 30 years. But if Walla Walla is growing quickly, this is probably the second best time to start regulating things for to shift towards like more human cent- or pedestrian centered, if that's where the community wants to go. Yeah. Yay. Okay. We're talking about so much. Yay. Okay. So um, what are your, what are your, what are some of your go-to sources for like learning about planning right now? Like you talked about Richard Rothstein. Do you have any book, other book recommendations for us? Um, I've been, let's see, the 99% Invisible City. I've uh, came up, uh, across and I thought that was kind of interesting um, just like super accessible and I guess easy to read 
Um, I've also started taking some courses on Corsa, I think is how you pronounce it. They have a lot of Coursera, is that what it is? Um, But they have a lot of free accessible classes. um, And I just typed in urban planning and it like offers a bunch of readings around different topics, whether it has to do with like um, environmental planning or like GIS and things like that. So that's Mm. definitely something I'm gonna be taking advantage of more once I graduate um, because essentially it's like uh, an entire course that you can take online in your own time um, to do your own um, like reading on various planning topics. So that's something that I've found super helpful. Um, and then for, I guess, just like daily information, I read a lot of New York Times and NPR. Um, <laughs> so those are, those are a lot of my go-to sources of data right now. I'm, since I'm in school and working on my thesis right now, a lot of my reading right now is focused on <laughs> my classes and my thesis. I think that's great. I think you'll find, uh, yeah, we can be pretty nerdy in the planning profession. And so I think you'll find, and once you get in, you'll start finding people you're like, oh, I thought I was the only one that did. That. And you'll find there's like a group of people. Like I listen to the PBS News Hour, like pretty much like every night. Do you know what that is? I haven't listened to it. I would love to. Yeah. No, it's great. I was, I was laughing yesterday. It had, I'm, yeah. So it's basically like a long form of NPR. It's like an hour and they just summarize the news from the day. Um, yeah. And so there, there's recently been like the GameStop yes. thing with the stocks. And so one guy, like a reporter, he's like, here's my grandson. They got they got an economist and they got a 17-year-old grandson oh. to talk about GameStop. And he, and he brought out an iPod and he's like, so we're going to use this iPod. And it's like this old guy. And it was like a really, it was like one of the first generation iPods. And it just had me on the floor, like just laughing. <laughs> the old dude, and he brought his grandson. And then there's like this economist, and I, it was it was great. So I, I think you're in good company with, um, yeah, it's great. Anyway, um, <laughs> so <laughs> go to the next one. Um, if you had the ability to change one law today, and it can be anything, because you know this can be outside the scope. Well, law is technically planning for like really long future. What would you change, and why? If I had one law to change, I feel like there's so many things I would change. Um, I guess there's so many. I think one of the things, especially since the color of law has been on my mind, um, that is um, ensuring like equal access to loans to people of color, black families um, in the time of that book in the 60s, I think it was 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, I mean, just segregation in general that has created a lot of institutional inequalities between people of color and white individuals. So I think, yeah, that's probably where my mind goes initially, Um, yeah. That's great. Yeah. But I really, I was listening to yours this morning. I think you answered that question on your podcast. Um, and I think you said, or maybe it wasn't you, but um, I think you said to allow like um, changes to the constitution. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was so interesting and 
a really, really, um, yeah, a really interesting answer. Something that would be beneficial for sure. Okay, thank you. I have since refined that, Daisy. So I would do the same exact thing because since the constitution is like the purpose of our law, I would, I would literally write in that we, like we change the entire constitution. We rewrite it every yeah. 75 years. And mm -hmm. like any provision that like, so it's up to like Congress to like define, like have like the list of like revisions like that they write down you know, but each of those revisions get written by Congress, then they go to the American people for referendum, and whatever we choose as a people collectively, that's what gets rewritten. So you'd have like, you'd have like the vote pamphlet, and it'd be like, stay or change. And like, you'd have like, what they wrote, like what, what, what it's here, and then what they wrote. And then like, we just we change it like piece by piece every 75 years. And I would, I would love that, you know, that's it. Yeah, I think that's my answer too. I love that. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. Okay, that's great. I'm making weird noises because I'm excited. I'm so excited to seeing like new people in, getting into planning and it's great. Okay, you doing okay? Yeah. Okay, we got two last questions. Okay, so what is your favorite mode of transportation and why? Um, my favorite. I guess there's my favorite versus most used. Um, so most used, I have a car. I use a car mostly to get around. Um, but I think some modes of transportation that I've really enjoyed when I'm in other places aside from Walla Walla. Uh, when I was in Europe, I used the train a lot um, to get around. And I really thought that was a great way to get around. That's not, I guess it's probably an option from where I am, but it's not utilized in the way that it is um, when I was in France. And I thought that was a really easy and accessible and cheap way to get around. Um, so I think I really enjoyed that. Um, and I also really enjoy, I lived in Seattle for a summer and I used like electric scooters and electric bikes a lot. And I really enjoyed those as well. Um, it was from like a sustainable perspective, but also it was fun and enjoyable and a nice way to like see the places that I was going to and from. I think that's great. I own an electric bike. I, I have my own and so that's, I, I really like those. It's cool, it's cool. Does Walla Walla have any like e-bikes or e-scooters? No, yeah, I, which is super interesting. I think they would be utilized a lot by, maybe not as much by like people in town, but by tourists and things like that. I think they would be utilized a lot. I think that's great. I will tell you something that's kind of scary. <laughs> okay, no one else on the podcast, the podcast I can't see, but your, your facial expression is like, oh, <laughs> gone. No, it's cool. Um, so I was on, I was, wow, yeah. So I've, I've been in some rooms where people are talking about e-scooters and like the like the new digital revolution and like i was talking with people who are in that field and they're like i let them know like i hey i'm about this i i own my own bike like let's talk about it. i have my own e-bike they're like no no no. i'm interested in like mining the data of uh movement patterns because that's really where like you offer it you're like huh why is this so cheap and a lot of times if something's like really really cheap and it's not provided by the government you are the product and even sometimes with the government like if something's provided for free, it's like 
people want something from you. Like we invest in public education because we want people to become contributors to society. So in one form, it's like a right. And then another form, it's like an investment to make sure our society is stable. When the private sector does something for free or for really cheap, or even sometimes for really expensive things, like um, like Ancestry.com and like they're like mining people's like genetic data, they're selling it on the back end. Like what scooter companies will do is they will, and this is true for like Uber, Lyft too, is like what they'll do is they'll sell your movement patterns. And, and Google Maps does this too. And they'll, they'll sell it back to the city. So like you're producing the data and you are also the purchaser of that data or your city will become the purchaser of that data for like transportation plans. They're like, hey, like Google Maps tracks like people who use, they anonymize it and then they'll track like, like let's say you and five other people are using Google Maps and like there's eight people in the street. Google will be like, okay, this is our sample. And like, we'll say that like between the hours of five and eight on Monday, this street is busier than that street. And what planners will sometimes do will be like, hey, um, we're going to we're going to widen this street and not that one. We probably shouldn't widen streets at this point. We should probably <laughs> just build more efficient pathways, you know, but that, that's like a whole thing. But that's happening in the background. And so they're selling that data. That's really where the um, that's where the money's at is selling that transportation data, acquiring it and then being like, hey, where do where do white females between the ages of 18 to 25, because they ask your age, if they ask your age, they can put you in a group and they'll be like, Hey, where do they go on Saturday nights? They'll sell it to the city. They'll sell like your travel data to the city, but then like to advertisers, they like, they can link it to your phone. Like if they know your name and they know your credit card or zip code, they can like sell to Facebook or like to other advertisers. Like, Hey, Daisy's been going to a lot of cafes recently. So maybe we should market dough to her. And so if you see, like, if you use, like, those platforms and you start to see ads based on where you're going, that could be the entry point. That's There's several different entry points at this point, but, like, yeah, you know. Yeah. Wow, that's so interesting. I mean, that makes complete sense, but I, I hadn't thought about it. Oh, yeah. That way. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, yeah, data is becoming increasing. Data has always been important. The idea of planning is that we're just using data to make, like we're using like what people are doing and how they feel about the built environment to like make the, make the place better. You know, like we're trying to use data, like how many people are here so we can build a school, like not build so many schools that we can't fund them, but have enough schools to where we can like reasonably like teach everyone who wants public education and have a road, have enough roads that are accessible have stuff close enough to where people can walk if they don't want to drive and stuff. Like we're all just, we're translating data into like reality. Uh, that That's what I think we're doing. And so, yeah, that's my standpoint. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. That's cool. That's great, Daisy. You're going to, you're going to be a great planner. I know. So um, the last question is how do you think COVID has changed your local landscape we have one more after this but yeah um i think one of the ways or a few of the ways i've seen um it change our community is we have implemented a lot of outdoor spaces for dining specifically so like restaurants are allowed to take maybe four 
parking spaces in front of their restaurant and build um, like a platform to have outdoor dining. Um, we sh shut down like one street, one block of a street to um, have like outdoor dining and kind of like a communal outdoor eating space. Um, and so yeah, that's been implemented all across like our downtown area, which has been really interesting. And I think we'll definitely stay. Um, a lot of restaurant owners are talking about how they like the, the way that it enhances like community and walking specifically within our, our downtown, which is really cool. And then um, just in general, I think COVID has created a, um, a desire to walk more, um, just to get outside and spend more time like walking around doing the little things that maybe we took for granted before, like walking around to different shops in our downtown area, walking to parks, um, even like the reservoir out here that people go on and walk their dogs around um, has been utilized a lot more. So I think just like outdoor walking activity has become a lot more common and I'll be interested to see how maybe our city responds to that uh, demand in walking. Yeah, I think that's great. I think that's cool for you to see, like, I think that's great for you to see, like, that's, that's an example of how fast planning could act, you know, like, there's a problem, oh, we can't eat, and then, uh, they're like, oh, let's build something so people can eat, and ultimately so they can spend money, you know, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's an example, I think sometimes, if you get uh, passionate about this, it's like, well, what Brian Stevenson at the, the, the Equal Justice Initiative says, but it's, it's, he's, he's like, He's like prison reform and legal reform, but I, I think I agree. Like if you if you are really if you become really passionate, and you may already be passionate about this, um, you will it will get to you. You'll be like, huh, there's a problem that we solved in like three weeks back then. You know, um, why can't we solve this longer standing issue? This uh, and then like once you start getting into data, like you're gonna go crazy. Like I see you have a lot of hair, you have good hair, you're gonna start pulling it out, you're gonna be like, <laughs> um, anyway, like you're gonna see like the more data you get, like the more at least I don't I don't wanna preface it for you. For me, the more data that I've seen, the more convinced that I have become that like there's a serious disconnect between the decisions we make and like the world that most people wanna see and the communities most people wanna see. And you'll see like the financial incentives for that, like see like hey like we can't build like how like there's no land for like building land for houseless people right and then like suddenly there's a bunch of wood for like outdoor eating areas and like maybe like if then like normally they have a floor they have a wall and they have a ceiling if they add another if they had two more walls that's a house you know and so it's like a weird you're like hmm why do we do it for this and not for that and a lot of times like it's it's it'll be money and like a lot of times, and so it starts to get to you. You're like, why do we do this? Like not doing like public transportation, which is probably more efficient, like for environment stuff. But you're like, oh crap, the car lobby, the the tire lobby. Like there's a whole bunch of people who are invested, even like this, the shift towards like electric vehicles. Like that's weird. All right, now I'll tell you. Okay, we're cool. Yeah, people are gonna hate me for this. <laughs> so it's like, like, are we outsourcing like the the mining of lithium to like third world countries? Like, do we have a system set up in place locally to dispose cleanly of lithium ion batteries when they reach the end of their life cycle? Like, when you buy like the small batteries from the store, 
like do not throw away in the trash please take yeah. to a disposal site do we even have disposal sites for like large lithium-ion batteries I, I i really i believe the answer is no in many cases but i know the answer is no in many cases but i have to, I have to say believe because that's responsible and then <laughs> um yeah you'll, you'll see a lot of stuff like that and then like are there even mechanics for like things like hey who benefits from this like the three companies Maybe there's like three companies that operate in the U.S. that like build buses, that build electric buses. You know, I used to work at our local um, transit agency, and like I found out that there's a guy who runs. I hope he doesn't. I hope they don't listen to this podcast. But I kind of hope they do, so they can hear this story because it's one of those. It's one of those things like nobody wants to hear. So like there's a guy. There's a guy. I want to refer to him as the guy. Um, his guy one who like manages like an electric bus, right? electric bus program we got federal grant from it and then there's guy number two who's like a mechanic who like fixes that bus and so i had to i did talk i I was doing this project that connected guy one and guy two guy one's like hey like the bus is doing great he has like all these charts all these graphs it's like yeah we're gonna get more electric buses man it's gonna be awesome the bus is like exceeding expectations then i go to guy two I'm like, hey, like, what's up with the electric bus? They're like, yeah, we actually didn't put it out. You know, it's been giving us a lot of problems. So, like, we just we just make it look like it goes out, like, on the spreadsheet. But we're actually putting a gas vehicle because sometimes it gives us problems and nobody knows how to fix it right now because we don't, like, when we got the federal fund, like, because we talked about maintenance earlier. Like, we get the funds when the federal government gives us money. It's to buy something new, but not actually, you can't use the funds to train people or to hire someone was trained to maintain that and even if you had the funds to train people you don't have the funds to like pay their salary it's a lot easier to get like two hundred thousand for a bus but not two hundred thousand for like a staff member which is irresponsible i think other countries don't work like that um and so like when when we talk about it uh, we're very capitalist when we talk about like capitalism as a function of government versus like the social capitalist like you invest in capital and not people and so it's literally easy to get money. Like if I want to help you, like let's say you're hungry, it's easy for me to like buy you a grocery store and like buy you food and stuff from some perspectives or like buy you food, but not actually pay someone to deliver the food to you, which is an important part. Anyway, that happened. <laughs> that happened. And I was like, what? And like, if I told everybody would tell me like yeah that happened but don't tell anybody and i'd be like ah what <laughs> but it's my job to like say it so that happens what did did you end up like confronting guy one and talking like what was the outcome of the situation um that'll be a conversation for offline i'm gonna let i'm gonna let that linger because <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that happened but it was it was um i learned i learned and some other people learned um I documented, I documented everything, I documented everything that I heard about and some people read that documentation. So I can say that. Okay. Yeah, so a lot of planning is gonna be that. You're gonna be like, mm, mm. there'll be like some backroom deals and stuff and you'll be like, what? Should we talk about this? And then law comes in, ah, legal disclosure. So with that, we're gonna jump back into the sunshine. Um, yeah. So the last question I have for you is like, how is it going from being a listener to being an interviewee on the podcast? Yeah, um, I think it's it's fun to connect um, some of the other podcasts that I listen to on your channel to 
like how the conversation in this is going. Um, and I, I especially like being able to ask questions, you know, in the moment and get answers uh, immediately. And I don't know, I think it's nice uh, because a lot of times in a podcast, you're just asking questions to, you know, people with knowledge and expertise in certain areas. And I'm in a unique position where I'm able to like say things that kind of have question marks on the end of them and you can come back with some explanations and responses that help make um, a lot of these issues more I guess, sensical um, and understand them in a, in a better light, which is fun. So I, I like it. It's, it's a nice thing. <laughs> Yay, thank you. So Once again, this is Daisy Shonder. Walla walla, we're expecting <laughs> great things. Like, okay, so you're gonna be like the planner, the master planner of Walla Walla, then become the mayor, then <laughs> president of the United States. Okay, let's let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, thanks so much, Daisy. Yeah. Awesome, thank you.